0: Let's uh, the rest of us, let's open up to first Timothy chapter three this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. First Timothy chapter three. I have to say, it's good to see you again back this week, uh, this morning after last week's message. So (laughs) thank you for not flattening my tires. And uh, I'm just kidding. God is good. It's always good to lean into truth, isn't it? It's difficult. As I mentioned last week, uh, Paul is writing here in first Timothy to a young pastor named Timothy. He left him in charge of a place called Ephesus um, after Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And as Paul at the time of this writing, he's writing from Macedonia, so Northern Greece, that area he's writing to Timothy, Timothy for a couple of reasons. He left him there. We see in chapter one, verses three and four, Paul said to Timothy, he said, I urge you when I was going to Mas- as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons, not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And so Timothy was charged by Paul to kind of clean up leadership that's what was going on. There was people in the church teaching things that were way off. And so Paul says, you've got to charge people not to teach things that are against sound doctrine. And so what was happening again is that, that these teachers were allowed in the church. Perhaps it was the leaders. We know that from Paul's departure. And what is that? Acts 20 Acts somewhere right around there. And, and he's, 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 uh, this is before he's been imprisoned, all that stuff. He's leaving Ephesus. He thinks he's never going to come back and he's pleading with the elders as I beg you night and day, man, you got to watch over the flock. There's going to be people who are going to come in here, even from among your own selves, and they're going to start picking apart the sheep. And that's actually what had happened. He comes back, he comes into Ephesus again after his first imprisonment, and he finds out. Man, there's a lot of things going on, but as an apostle over all the churches that he started, he's got to jump onto another church. So what does he do? Is he leaves Timothy there, who's described as like his son in the face, someone who will, who's an exact kind of replica of Paul. And he puts him there to straighten things up. And so the first thing he says, you got to charge these guys not to teach anything that's contrary to sound doctrine. It's important. Teaching is imp- important. Truth is important. It's really important. It's something we just can't gloss over. We don't just kind of go, ah, oh, whatever, you know, as long as we all get along, our unity is in truth. Our unity as a church is in the truth of Jesus Christ, us conforming to him. He being the head, he directing us, us following him. And that that's where unity comes from. That's where our love and our joy and our peace comes from as we are following and loving him, his truth, right? And so Paul says, man, The result of this teaching is causing some serious issues in the church. Instead of unity, there's speculation going on. And, and, and and we see that from chapter two and he starts getting in there and goes, guys, he commands them all to pray. So there's prayerlessness in the church. They were off mission. They weren't being evangelistic in their walk, but instead they were, the men were arguing and quarreling with one another. And so there was a spirit of, of this argument that was going on amongst the men of the church in, in that town. And then beyond that, the women were focused on vanity instead of character. And so there was a fashion show instead of a character uh, building that was happening. And and then it leads to other things where the women were then taking the roles of men in the church. And all these types of issues were going on. And so Paul Paul commands Timothy, hey, you got to stop these teachers who are teaching this weird stuff. That's contrary to what God has laid out for us. And we're going to read that in, in second Timothy chapter, I'm sorry. In, um we're going to read in verse 15. Basically there's a second reason that Paul, um, that Paul is, is put there is not only to stop the teaching, but he says, in verse 15 in, in, in chapter three, excuse me, says may, uh, that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And so right teaching leads to right practice. That's important. If you've got weird teaching, you've got weird practice. And so Paul was saying, now um, the reason why I'm telling you to correct the leaders, the reason why I'm telling you to correct the teaching and make sure it's right is because it's leading people to act contrary to what Christ has called them to be like, which is him Christ likeness. Right. And so then he goes, not only you got to correct that leadership, you've got to go into actually what is being done and, and gently move people back in towards truth back towards right practice before God so that we may know how to behave in the household of God. And that's what we saw beginning in chapter two. He says, first of all, I'm, I'm commanding, you know, that everyone pray. And we went over how the church was called to re-engage in evangelistic prayer, praying for the lost, praying for all men. And we went into that in depth last week, the first part of the message. And then that also is extended to the leadership, the lost leadership that surrounded them. And it was, much, much, much more consequential in Rome where Paul was and, and who he's talking to in that whole society where Christians were about to get put on torches and, and lit up, you know, to be lamps in the streets and all that type of stuff. And so to pray for the lost leaders that they may live godly and quiet and peaceful, respectable lives. And so tonight we're going to gather together as a church and pray. Why? Because the Lord calls us to pray as a church. It's not a wonderful invention of Matt. (laughs) Let's just do this. No, it's just, you simply read the scripture and you obey. Amen. If he's calling that church to evangelistic prayer, you think we've had a little bit of off focus over, over a while. I think other things are going on maybe, man. So let's refocus tonight. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our nation. Not that they would do things our way, but they would come to know Christ. That we would be evangelistic in our hearts and win that, win them to Christ. Amen? Yeah, because that's ultimately what's going to change everything. And so we want to pray tonight for our leaders and for our you know national leaders and for our local leaders. And, and, and then we can get into other stuff. But that's going to be the heart of tonight is just following what the Lord says here what we learned last week. And so Paul, the second thing that Paul did is, you know, correct teaching, but he also is correcting the pack, the practice. And so Paul looks at the church. He is in that are facing leaders of ungodly leadership in the church, which leads to a misunderstanding of scripture and the practice thereof. And so Paul has just addressed the priority of evangelistic prayer. People need to start praying again. Instead of lifting hands in anger, they need to be lifting hands in prayer. Instead of uh, an outward vanity, there needs to be a focus on an inward heart of character towards God, a purity, which is right and pure worship. Right? Now he begins, he, he, he began to collect, correct the leadership issue. And so here in chapter three, after he has corrected, both the, Um, he started to correct the, 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 just the false teaching telling Timothy, stop the false teaching. Now, correct, put the church back on the path towards prayer, tell the guys to stop arguing and to start praying the women to stop, you know, accessorizing and start, uh, submitting and all these types of things, which is pleasing to God. He then goes back and now has to explain what good leadership is, what proper leadership is in the church, because it was being abused and the roles were all messed up. In the church. And so he goes back and goes, This is where it starts in leadership of the church. And so coming off the heels of that mess in chapter two, we read in verse one, he says, This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires what? A noble task. The word overseer here, I mean, it's kind of sounds like overlord, but it's not overseer, right? The word overseer is episkopos. And how many of you heard of like the episcopal church, you know, that type of idea Uh, that hasn't, that has a rendering there back in the translation, but it can be rendered bishop as well. And overseer simply means someone referring to the role of spiritual leadership in the church. Um, Obviously it's come to mean different things. But the idea behind it is that it's an overseer. It's someone who's over, watching over the church, who's in a position of spiritual leadership over the church, serving them as, as, as spiritual examples and, and such. And so specifically that's given to the role of an elder or a pastor there. And, and, and just for a quick review, an overseer is called to two major areas, tending and feeding the church, tending and feeding. And we see that with Jesus, with Peter. Remember in in John, he says to him, you know, do you love me, Peter? And what does Peter say? Of course I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Feed them what? Word of God, teach them what I've given you. Oh, well, and he asks him again, do you love me? Tend my lambs. What does tend mean? Take care of. What does that mean? Protect. You got to protect them. From, from wolves and all that type of stuff. What else does it mean? Take care of, pray for, tend to, all those types of things. And he goes back again and feed, feed my lambs. And so he, that's the general category of this idea of tending, which is the word for pastor, pastor of the sheep, shepherd the flock. Feed and protect and pray for and do all those things that the Lord manifested there. But just examples of that uh, are basically, and I'm just going to grab just really quickly, just a few, a list of a few things that, that someone in my position and the elders of the church are, are charged with, and there's much more, but we're to rule the church in a sense of administrating it. Um, We're called to preach and teach the word of God. We're called to pray for the sick, to care for the church, to be examples for others to follow, to set church policy uh, and to ordain other leaders. And obviously there's so much more. That's just a brief overview of of what an elder or a pastor an overseer is called to do. And right off the bat, we see the role of an overseer that, that it's a noble task. Notice he calls the task noble. What does that mean? It means to oversee a church. It's good. It's honorable. It's, it's, it's a worthy task. It's an excellent work. It's a high calling. It's noble. And and don't gloss over that gloss over the word task. It's not only noble. It's actually a task. It's work. And I can testify to that. It's work. And Those of you who have been around ministry people, you understand it's, it doesn't stop. It's a labor of love before the Lord. And because it's a noble work, it has to be aspired to. That's what it says. Those who aspire to the position of overseer must. It has to be aspired to the word aspire. We're in football season right now, which is a bad and a good thing, but it's amazing to watch athletes who train and and, and do things to their body to get to them place where they can compete at such a high level. And what happens is, is when you watch the slow motion replays of those amazing catches, you see someone just fully extended, like one hand, of course they got the magical gloves on, but I mean, they catch the ball on, by the tip and they just grab it and they, You know, they bring it in. We're all just in amazement going, I don't, I couldn't even like, I couldn't even get out of my stance, you know, from the line. And we're just watching this. Well, that's the idea of that word aspire. Aspire means to stretch out and reach for something. It has to be aspired to. And we often look at that as, as the idea of, of I've got, I've got to go grab it. I've got to go do it. You know, I've got to go put myself on the top, but that's not the aspiration that's being spoken of here. The task is noble. So the man must be noble. There must be an aspiration of character within that person. There has to be an extending and a growth in Christ like this. It has to be stretched out and worked out before everybody and everything uh, before the Lord has to be evidenced. Despire to stretch out and grab that spiritual maturity is required. Maturity that has been brought by the work of the spirit in the life of a man who has responded to God as he's been stretched for the and, and grown for the Lord. That's the idea there. So Paul is going to say in, in, to later in, in, in chapter four, which we'll get to next time. He says in four verse 12, he says, let no one despise you for your youth. He's talking to Timothy, but set, but set the believers an example in speech. In conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This is an example of a leader, someone who's been stretched in all these areas, that they have an example of speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. These are, these are to be the examples of an elder in a church. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. There's a devotion to the scriptures, to the word of God and the public declaration thereof. And he says, uh, and to scripture, and to exhortation, That means correction. There's a, there's a correction, not a, you know, not all correction is harsh. You know, it's, it's a coaching. I mean, some of us parents understand there's that there's two sided. Sometimes you're it's more stick than carrot, but you're coaching someone you're encouraging, exhorting, right. But also in teaching that's in dialogue. So these things are always happening. And then beyond that, it goes, verse 14 and do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given to you by prophecy with a council of elders laid their, when they laid their hands on you. And so there's actual gifting that's, that's given to an elder, a spiritual gifting. And we see it's wrapped up in teaching and wisdom and counsel and all those types of things. And he says in verse 15, practice those things, practice them, immerse yourself in them. Why? So that all may see your progress. They see your spiritual growth. They see the stretch. Why? Because they're supposed to be the examples, the physical examples of what we're all supposed to stretch out and reach to. And I feel the weight of that church. Anybody else? Listen, moms and dads, you've got the same stretch going on in your leadership, of your home to aspire to Christ likeness. Amen. Me too. I mean, we can relate. You see, there's a stretching in Timothy, a setting of an example, a devotion and all this just is a life devoted for the Lord. And it's evident to all. And hopefully we see that in leadership. It's a high calling. It's a noble task and requires a noble person. And I want to put this pedestal really high. I don't want to dumb it down like our culture is doing. Aspiration, that work of the spirit of man, that's what has to happen in order for a man to be called to lead God's people. Verse three, therefore an overseer, what? What's that one four letter word there? An overseer, what? Must. The task is noble. The aspiration has to match it. Because it's such a, it's it's an important role in the church. Guess what? This must happen. Therefore, an overseer must be. Now Paul moves to the non-negotiables of leadership of an overseer in a church, an elder or a pastor, an overseer must be. And what Paul describes in verses two through seven here is a description of a mature man of God who is qualified to oversee others within the church in the position of pastor leader. They are to be the servant leaders within the church. And again, this is important because all the characteristics, all the character being described in these verses is a result of the word of God, abiding in someone and producing the fruit thereof. This is a work of God in someone. And the result is called spiritual maturity and it's called Christ likeness. Amen. And so Paul says that an overseer must be, and let's just read all of it through here. Verses uh, two through seven above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive for if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will we care for God's church. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the grace, into the snare of the devil. Job description starts with character. We quickly, we're going to go back over these verses, but if, if you have, if you're relatively new to the church, I went in depth on a lot of this stuff in a series I called the church back in summer of 2018. It was like a supposed to be like an eight part series. of course we knew it turned into 12. There's always a multiplier on these things, Um, but it was a 12 part series. and, And you'll, you'll want to go specifically parts eight and nine. So it's called the church 2018. And eight and nine deals with, with the leadership within the church. And I kind of go more in depth than I'm going to go this morning. But it's, it's not right to, to minimize the importance of these qualifications and how towering and imposing and important they are in the leadership. I think it's so easy for me to sit there and go, you know, we all stink. So let's just lower the bar. It's too important. I've got to aspire God's got to, we've got to allow the work of the Holy spirit in my life. I need to change. I need to grow to have humility. We can't make excuses for pastors and elders and lower the bar for those aspiring pastors and elders. Why? Because when we lower the bar, guess who gets the short end of the stick? The church, the church. And that's exactly What happened in Ephesus? The leadership didn't take these things seriously. And they began compromising in all these areas. And you got messed up roles in leadership and people weren't teaching the word of God. They weren't staying to what they were. The character wasn't there, all that stuff. And what happened is the church got weird. They were off message. And Paul had to come in and say, we got to tighten this up. Why? Because it doesn't glorify God. This is not what he designed us for. Not quarreling church, not a vain church, a church that prays, a church that cares for the lost, a church that's concerned more about character than outward appearances. That's important. So, obviously, I want to say in this that there is no one who meets these qualifications perfectly. And I'm included in that, and I'm not making an excuse. But there's no one walking the earth who meets these things. There was only one. And his name is Jesus. And we know that none of us was without that sin. I want to throw that qualifier out there. And We know that the disciples are men. As we look at the disciples, they, they had flaws. They were messed up. Peter had to be corrected. So we're not looking at supermen. What we're looking at is mature men of God. In other words, these characters are evident in their lives. And it's evident in, well, we're going to see here in just a second, but there's no one who meets these qualifications perfectly. And we know that maturity can often be relevant to the, the body that you're in. You know, if you're talking to Titus, he, he just came and he started a church and you've got one guy and you're pulling elders out of a group that's it's relatively new to the faith, not new, but they had to have some time to grow. And so the level of maturity, maybe in a, in a, in a, in a church in Crete at that time might've been different than what was expected in Ephesus, but nevertheless, out of what God had given them, there had to be a maturity in there. And so after all that, we know that no one's without sin and all that stuff, but the characteristics and the gifting described in here are not optional. It's a must. Okay. There's a real danger in altering these things and messing with what God's laid out here, lowering the bar and all that. Because when we compromise again, God's role for leadership, the church suffers. And we see the church suffering. It happens as a result of poor leaders as it did in Ephesus. And so an overseer must be, first of all, what? Above reproach. This is really the overarching idea over all these qualifications, these character qualifications. They must be above reproach. And the idea of this is that nothing sticks. Nothing sticks means accusations will be hurled, but because of the person's character, there isn't a foothold for that to stick. That's the idea. He's, he, he's a Christ-like mature man. And this implies that false charges are going to be thrown against him, just as they were at Christ. That the, the accuser of the brethren is going to be attacking all the time, but there's a level of quality and maturity in this person where people look at that and they go, no, <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Why? Because they are a mature Christ-like man. And again, this does not mean sinless perfection, but it does mean that godly character is what is evidenced in their life to a a great degree. And so an overseer must be above reproach. And then what is the next? The husband of one wife or better translated a one woman kind of man is the idea in the Greek. A woman, one woman kind of man. By the way, this implies that an elder isn't a man is a man. If you come out of chapter two, you just saw that he just dealt with what was going on in chapter two, where women were exercising authority over the men. It's implied because there are no chapter breaks in here. And you go into chapter three. This is so important. Our, you know, our society is teaching us that the way up is up. That's what they're constantly doing. And Jesus taught that the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And men in the role of leadership are called to be servants. You're called to use your strength and authority and power that God has given you to lay down your life that others might live. That's biblical leadership. And I think such a Reason why it's hard for women to, to read the, the verses before that is they start to talk about the patriarchy and all this type of stuff. Listen, God set up the patriarchy. It's biblical. You gotta, you gotta deal with that, but not the oppressive, abusive, evil, twisted man, patriarchy. That's not what would God designed. How many have been so broken by heavy handed, Men because men either don't use their authority or they abuse their authority. That's usually what they gravitate to. And this is Genesis three, everybody and women in their God given role are designed to help men. Boy, I know I'm going to lose a lot of people here, right? What to serve with him to accomplish God's will. So you have as husband as head of the church, head of the head of the bride. It says there in Ephesians five and he says, and just so the guys don't get out of control, he goes, yeah, just like Christ, what did he do? He laid down his life so that they might live. Ladies, how many of you want to submit to a guy who's going to lay down his life that you might live? Yeah. I want that guy. Amen. That's God's design. That a man would be head, but he would use all the strength and power and authority that God's given him to lay down his life for his wife, for his kids, that they might live. Boy, how many guys, how many guys struggle with that? Yes, that's our failure. And that's our sin. Ladies, how many of you struggle with submitting? Yeah, it's hard. But nevertheless, we're called to do these things. And so within the church, it's not about being equally, um, being everything you know, everybody having equal roles within the church. There are God given roles and our society is blind to these things. Just as men are men and women are women. There are different roles that we've been given. Guess what? I'm not having babies. I'm never going to be a mother. That's right. No matter what science does, it's never happening. And we're insane. If we think differently. And ladies, you're not going to kick a 500 pound guy across the room. You're going to break your leg doing it. I'm just saying there's realities that we have as men and women, different roles and guess This is the whole thing. I'm laying this down. How many of you are just cringing right now? We're looking this way. We're looking at each other as competitors. And this is what God says. I created them male and female in my image. You're made in the image of God. Precious women, you're made in the image of God. Precious men, you're made in the image of God. We are created to be complementary, And the ultimate picture of that is two equals. One, uh, two equals with different roles. The father and the son. Jesus is king of kings, Lord of lords. He is God in the flesh. And yet, what does he do? He submits to the will of the father. Isn't that amazing? He willingly smits that God that his father's will would happen. What does the Holy spirit do silently behind the scene? Testifies of the son. The spirit testifies of the son. The son testifies of the father. The father glorifies the son. The father sends the spirit that the son might be testified. It's this relationship of laying down and glorifying one another. And that's what we're aiming at here. And so when we say that men are called to be leadership, Paul goes back to the original focus of the church and says, listen, this is my design. Adam was created first. Eve was created second. It's out of order for it not to be like that. This is not that women are, are, are less teachers. They're, they're fantastic. They're, we, listen, we're all kind of on an even playing field with giftings. Are we not? My wife is okay. She's she's away in San Diego right now. She might be listening. So hopefully she's not. She's smarter than I am. (laughs) I shared that last week. She's got brains. I'm a different kind of smart. Like I I learned like, oh, I better not do that again. You know, I mean. (laughs) Tell you, I can't do what I do without my wife. I'm sorry. I'm totally dependent on her. She's dependent on me and it's great. We need to lean into one another with, with all our failures, but gosh, I got off on a rant and I probably got myself in a hole here, but I just want to follow up with man, how precious we are being created in the image of God. Lean into the role that God has given you. Don't believe what the world is telling you. You are listen to your father. And what he says you are and lean into with all your might, and he will bless you and lift you up. And the way up is down in the kingdom to be the servant of all. We've got to learn humility in our roles. Amen. Because the world's version of a patriarchy and the world's version of women's lib It's all insane. It's all contrary to what God designed relationship of love with the roles God's given you. And so he's to be the husband of one wife. He must be, and that doesn't, and and he's a one woman kind of man. And again, this is speaking about character, not status. This isn't about whether he's single because we know Jesus was single. We know Paul was single and they were, you know, let's just say in (laughs) leadership, but it implies here that, Elder is a man. We know that we dealt with that last week, but he's to be the husband of one wife. That means he's, he's faithful to his wife. That's his character. He's faithful to his wife. It's not talking necessarily about polygamy. It's not talking about a divorced guy who became uh who, who's is in, is in, in leadership. It, the scriptures speak about that kind of stuff. There Paul permits uh, or or, um, there's a permission for divorce. There's a permission for remarriage under certain circumstances. Like for example, if uh, if you got a couple who was basically uh, they didn't know the Lord when they got married and one of them came to the Lord after that. And the other one said, I'm taken off because you're a Jesus freak. Paul says, you're free to marry in the Lord. Well, if that was a guy, he'd be free to remarry only in the Lord. And I think that person would be eligible for eldership, leadership and all that stuff. But the idea is, Behind all that is, are they, are they above reproach and all that stuff? Make sense? That's the overarching thought there, but he has he needs to be a, a one woman, man, faithful to his husband, uh, faithful to his wife, right? Again, this isn't saying you need to be married and all that stuff. But the idea here is that he's faithful to his wife. Continuing verse two, he must be what? Sober minded or temperate. Meaning understanding the times and having biblical knowledge and wisdom to act accordingly. I'm going to repeat that again. Sober minded. This isn't necessarily talking about being drunk or not drunk. It addresses that later. It means that they have a a really good understanding solid understanding of the Bible and they have a great biblical worldview. Their, their, their mind is not shaped by the culture around them, but by the scriptures and the spirit of God, they view the world the way that the, the scriptures see it. And they're able to recognize the times you're living in and to act accordingly. That's important. Boy, are we lacking that or are we not lacking that? Must have that. Also, they must be self-controlled. This, this means prudent or disciplined in spiritual priorities. Are they devoted to prayer. Are they devoted to the word. Are they devoted to these things. Are they organized in them, prioritized in them. Next is respectable. This means an ordered life. A disciplined mind leads to a disciplined actions. And uh, all of that. Next, hospitable. What does that word mean? You guys, this is where we get our word hospital. It means that there's a, an approachableness, and the idea is that it's an open heart to strangers. There's an invitingness about them to the lost or to those they don't know. They're constantly looking for opportunities for the kingdom of God to exercise spiritual gifts, to edify, to pull people into their lives hospitality. So mature be, uh, believer has to be approachable, has to have an approachable life, a heart that's open to the lost and the needy and a life available for God to use in any circumstances. And so there is a heart and action that reaches out and invites. And next at the universe two, able to teach. Now here's where Paul pivots off of character and he starts going to the gifting. He lays down the major gift of an elder an elder cannot be an elder if they cannot teach. What does that mean? It's not only modeling the word of God, but explaining sound doctrine. We've got to be able to explain it. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm explaining the scriptures. How many of you, um, how, who, who've been around other men and women in the church, not just men are, aren't, aren't just teachers. You know, there are women that obviously are gifted and all that type of stuff. How, when you're around them, it's like, they just, when they talk about God in the scriptures, it just makes more sense. How many of you kind of, you, they start explaining things and it's like, oh, that's what that means. It sort of clicks together. Yeah. Teachers, they must be able to teach. Now there's different ways in teaching. So an elder or a pastor must be a teacher. It doesn't mean they get up here and can talk for 45 minutes and have half you fall asleep and all that kind of stuff. What it means is that they're able to communicate the word of God. So in a way that people can understand, and that happens like this in a monologue, but mostly it happens in dialogues. Come on, Oscar. Wake up, bud. I'm just kidding. I always, I always go people who have sleeping problems. I'm like, Oh, you got to listen to this message. (laughs) You should try number. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They're like, Oh, I have no longer have insomnia. Thanks, Matt. But seriously, uh, you know, when we're talking about these things. It's a, it's important to be able to teach. And that doesn't always happen in a pulpit. It happens on one-on-one circumstances. And in, in, in talking and conversational things about the Lord, it happens through counseling in more of an official setting. it happens in classrooms or it happens through writing and all this type of stuff. They have to be able to communicate the word of God and Titus. When we get to it, it's going to say, Titus, you've got to entrust, uh, Godly men who know the word and, and who can, who can give it to others who can train others in it. And that's the idea. They know it it's in their life and they teach by example and by word. So that that's, it's a necessity. It's a must. Verse three, not a drunkard. We had some things they must do and a gifting. And now it's things they can't be. So he says, switches gears, says identifies a couple things that can't be. An overseer can't be a drunkard. How many of you have a different rendering to that? Not given to wine. And that's the idea of the Greek. Is not, it's, not, uh, it's not talking about you can't have wine, because in wine that day they would they would all drink wine every single day. What it's talking about is you can't be addicted to wine. You can't be, and the idea there is, well, let me let me read uh Ephesians 5.18. Here's, here's, here's a great verse. Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And it goes on to that, speaking to one another in Psalms, Sins, and spiritual songs. And the idea is a boat, a giant boat with a big sail. And the idea is that wind blows in that sail and directs the ship. Is alcohol, is fill in the blank, pushing the ship of your life, or is the Holy Spirit? Because if these other things are pushing, your, the life of your ship, that's what it means be filled with. This is be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means let the spirit fill your life and push you along as you go. And by the way, the sister verse of this in Colossians, Paul's writing these at the same time. So he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. The spirit and the word working in the life of someone pushing their life along. Amen. Don't be filled with wine or fill in the blank. Because it leads to debauchery. It leads to destruction. Your ship get, ends up on the rocks. That can't be in leadership. They need to be a person who's filled with the spirit. Continue on. They must not be, uh, they must not be violent, but gentle. I love how many of you have the, um, the translation pugnacious. Pugnacious anyone? Old. <laughs> it means given the blows. You know, no UFC fighters in the pulpit, so to speak. Uh, Violence is not Christ likeness, but gentleness is. It's a fruit of the spirit. So a gentle person, a person who's considerate and gracious, who pardons human failure. Someone who's like that, Uh, not a lover of money. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, no one can what? Serve two masters for either. He will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. A leader can't be love money, go after money. That can't be their life, is to pursue material wealth. How many churches have been divided over some leaders' love for money? We will read in chapter six, verses eight through ten, Paul's words to Timothy. He says, But if we have food and clothing, so when we get to chapter six, he's gonna say to this to Timothy, but we will have but if we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then the verse we all know for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he goes on and says, it is through this craving that some of you have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know what that word craving is. It's the stretching out. Same word. You can't ha- be in leadership and be stretching out for for material wealth, for material gain. That can't be your God. You can't serve both because you're going to love one and hate the other. And you not in church you are not a means of making my life comfortable. You don't exist for that. Or leadership. You do. You bless me out of your love. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. I'm well taken care of. God is good and all that, but you're not to be fleeced. You're not to be manipulated into giving your money. You're not to be told, you know, you're, you're, you know, oh, if you just, you know, give a little bit more and, you know, why aren't you blah, 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 blah. Listen, that's a motive of love and obedience towards Jesus Christ. Yeah. When we get to those verses, we'll teach on that. But you you know, when you're being taken over, but some of you don't. Talks about these kind of guys who go after money. They go after widows. It's these people who are calling you on the phone, you know, and asking for your social security number and all your digits and all this type of stuff. I, th- I was on the phone one time with this guy. India and uh, I'm calling you out India. Um, it was, and he, he was just lying through his teeth. So if you, okay. you want to know something you can do to people who are trying to take it at you, preach the gospel to them practice. It's awesome. I mean, what can be more annoying? Uh, <laughs> so I started sharing with them. I said, listen, like you're lying to me and there's a just God. And you're going to go to hell for this. If you don't repent, but see God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus to die for your sins against him, repent and believe, you know, and just started preaching. The guy apologized. and He started back. It was like, thank you, Lord. But I'm just saying that love, that greed, that manipulation. Listen, it's in us. Is it not? That can't be the aspiration of a leader's life. How do you know that? Boy, I start looking at what they're doing, where they're going, what they spend their money on, their time on, what kind of car they're driving. Not, you can judge all those things, but get some discernment about your leaders. Amen? Am I asking you for a Learjet? You haven't given it to me yet, and I'm pretty disappointed. <laughs> you guys know that. Um, <laughs> seeking money in the place of God. Church, as I'm going through these, I know you're thinking about pastors and leaders and the high bar for leadership. But if that's the model for them, what do you think the implication is on the church? We're to aspire to the same things. It's the same things. We're to be one woman kind of guys, one husband kind of girls, right? We're not to be all those things. We're to be gifted in use our gifts before the Lord and, and all of that We're to be sober minded and such. So these are just examples. We're almost there. Everybody verse four must manage his own household. Well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive for if someone doesn't know how to manage his ho- his own household, how will he care for God's church? So verse five is the reason verse four is the evidence. Okay. So someone's homes like a little church. That's the idea there is a little church. He is a, is he a good overseer of his home? So he's to be an excellent manager of his home. He and his wife, right? Uh, This is, this is, this is seen in how he and his wife raise their kids. And so this doesn't mean that an overseer has to have kids. Again, this is just the presumption because most people do. That's just the way it is. It's normal. And So do the children in the home, are, are they, are they submissive? What does that mean? Are they listening and obeying to what you say with your authority? Because if you, if you can't lead your kids, you're not going to lead the church. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen to what you're saying. And I'm not trying to get you to obey me. Amen. Not obey Matt. You obey the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he says. Now follow him, follow him. Follow him. Amen. But he's given me authority in the church as far as his scriptures are concerned and the elders to teach and to command that we follow these things. So Paul says, if you don't pastor your own family, how, how can you oversee the church? Great question. Great point. So this speaks to marriage and home life and being qualifications for all the offices overseer. Verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. So an overseer can't be someone who just came to the Lord, no matter how dynamic a personality they are, no matter what kind of business influence they have, none of that stuff, new believers are not in leadership. Well, that's kind of harsh and judgmental. No, you don't put someone who's immature. Let's just say behind the wheel of, An 18-wheeler down a highway, right? Someone who's four years old. Is there anything wrong with being four years old? Anything wrong with being four years old? Nope. It's awesome before. It's not awesome when you're putting adult responsibilities on a four-year-old. Makes sense? Everybody loses. It's also irresponsible to put adult responsibilities on someone who acts like a four-year-old. That's what they're saying. The person has to aspire to the position. So some things just take time. Let people grow. Amen. Let them grow into the positions. God's called them to do. Yes. Stretch and go. And by the way, as you go through this, we're going to come back to it. And I'm not going to have to go into depth on all these things because they're repeated in deacons. But what they're saying is there's, there's a process for people growing in leadership in the church before they're even a deacon. This says let them be tested. There's weight to be put. They're supposed to, sorry, cut out there. Happen. We'll talk about that when we get there. So an overseer can't be someone who just came to the Lord, no matter how dynamic they are. The danger of putting someone into position of a pastor or an elder in the church before they are ready is that they can become puffed up and conceited. The idea is that you're more focused on the position and title rather than the responsibility, the weight of the responsibility. The older I get, the more weight I feel about what I'm doing because my knowledge and understanding of the scriptures is, is growing and there's more of a, of a, of a weight. And it's like, Oh my goodness. Why didn't I know this when I was 20 years old? Cause I wasn't taught and it wasn't expected and it wasn't demanded. And it wasn't, you know, all these types of things. And so we've got to be, we've got to hold that bar. Amen. So, Overseers are not to aspire to power. Um, the, wait, sorry. The idea there is, is the danger of that is that people are going to be gravitate towards a title rather than the weight of the responsibility. Does that make sense? How many of you love being called whatever you're called at your job? Everybody does it, you know, hey, pastor Matt. Well, that weighs off real quick. And then you've got to actually pastor the church. You've got to actually do the job. And there better be character there. Right? Because lives depend on it. So overseers are not to aspire to power, but to service to the Lord. So pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the devil was filled with pride and desired to ascend in the place of God. And he was cast down. So don't, we don't put new converts in positions of overseer. That's why if you're new here, we got to know who you are. We're not going to throw you into position, no matter how minor it is until we know who you are, what kind of character is going on in your life, what you're doing. Because it all counts. Doesn't mean you need to be a superstar. We're all growing, amen. It's gonna take a little while before we we put you in a position of even moving chairs. There's an idea in the church that's the opposite of that, that puts people in positions and say, God will work it out. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. People on the worship team, because they're really talented and they can sing, they can do all that stuff. Sorry, it's not happening. I've been a worship leader for twenty-something years. Let me tell you, I've seen it, and people up there who have messed up things going on, and, and it isn't worked out, and yet they have a beautiful voice, and, the, and people only care about the outside, but the inside is what needs to be developed. Amen. We want the inside to match the outside. That's worship. And so, it's not that we're holding people back. We just want to grow them and not throw them into danger and endangering others. That's that's good leadership. And lastly, verse seven, let's end here. However, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And so not only does the aspiring overseers character have to be evident among the church and the leadership, and this is why it's really important that, that elders are from among the church, right? That you actually see this person operating in your midst for a long time before they're elevated, you can see all the flaws and the character. You know them, you know their life, their family, and all that type of stuff. It's a rare exception where you take someone like me from San Diego and bring them in. It's better that it's in the church, homegrown. Amen? Amen? It's okay to say amen. I'm not offended. I agree. But here's the thing as he says, they must be well thought of by outsiders. So not only the inside is the character verified, but you got to make sure that they have a good witness in the church, in the community. This doesn't mean that the community is going to like them. Okay. <laughs> like when you stand for Christ, you're going to be hated by the world. That's just the fact, but you don't go out of your way to be hated by the world. Make sense. Is there character in their character and their Christ? The idea behind this is, is, are they truly who they are? Outside, you see that in the community when they speak of them, even though they might not like them, they know that that's who they are. Oh, yeah, they're a Christian, they're into that God stuff, and they're actually nice people, but their politics are dumb and they start cutting you down, whatever it is, right? Are they Christ like? That's it. Is it verified among the non believers? And the idea is because if they aren't. It's going to bring reproach to Christ and an elder must be without reproach. I know it's a long explanation here, but this is important. So these are the qualifications for one aspiring to be an overseer. And there's a sister verse in first Timothy. I think chapter one, is it? I can't remember right now. I'm trying to look to Gary, uh, no first Timothy uh, Titus chapter one about elders as well. So there's other places. And then, Real quickly, verse eight just says deacons likewise. Deacons likewise. What does that mean? Same way, same heart, same above reproach. So we'll come back there. And this is where we actually get into deacons who are actually the word means servants. So you have ones that minister in the word. And that's what their main, their main deal is. They, they pastor and shepherd the church. Then you get a deacons who actually do the work, (laughs) you know, the, the the support of the gospel. So you have these two amazing groups of people working together in harmony to accomplish what God has called us to do. We all have a part in that. And then it goes on beyond that. So with that said, let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your word is, it is cutting. It's like handling the sharpest of swords. And Lord, uh, I just want to thank you for such a, Powerful example I, I even in the wrong that was happening in Ephesus, Lord you worked out that we would be able to understand what godly leadership looks like as a result of that you're so magnificent so Lord may we be men and women of character may you grow us into Christ likeness regardless of whether we're in any position of leadership may we Reflect these things in our own lives. And Lord, may the leaders of this church and those to come who will be raised up. May we reflect you among your people and your glory. Not just an outward show, but an inward reality, God. and May your name be magnified because we are a people who are true. Inside and outside. And so we pray for your name to be glorified. Bless our time of prayer tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.